Hello and welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is John Paulson and I'll be your host today. It's Super Bowl week and normally we're not releasing episodes at this point in the off season, but I had uh, Pat Fitzmaurice on the pod a couple weeks ago to discuss a few things he learned during the 2023 fantasy season and the episode got a good response. So I thought it'd be a great time to catch up with another good friend in the industry. You know him and you love him from Yahoo Fantasy. It's Andy Barons. Andy, thanks for coming on. Oh, it is a pleasure to be on. Um, I man, I'm I'm really I'm following Pat Fitzmorris. That's hard. That guy, that guy knows things. He's good. Um, I'm just I'm just kind of freewheeling here, but I'll do my best. I've seen your list of things you've learned, and I think we'll have a good discussion today. But uh, we're going to discuss several things that Andy learned this fantasy season. Then we'll preview the Super Bowl and maybe discuss a few props that we both like. I have a Prize Picks slip that I'm going to release and then pray that it hits. Uh, and since Andy is a Bears fan, we'll be discussing uh, that franchise's short-term future. And since he's my favorite Bears fan, I have to ask him <laughs> about Jordan Love, uh, because that was a whole saga this offseason with uh, the Vikings and Bears fans in my Twitter feed. So exciting stuff. Andy, what's the first thing you learned this year? First of all, learn might be a little strong. I'm I'm very old. I'm past my learning years for the most part, John. Most of most of these things that uh, that I'll get into are going to be things that I don't know if I've I don't know if I've learned them exactly for the first time, but they've certainly been reinforced. And for me, the the number one thing, um, one of the biggest lessons of this season for anyone uh, is that we we should regard the the term injury prone as just an outright lie. Um, because literally the most important players in fantasy this season, just in terms of determining, you know, playoff status and, and league titles, um, they were guys who are widely considered, I think, by sort of the masses, right? Certainly by many players to be injury prone. They were they were Christian McCaffrey. Like in Yahoo leagues, roughly 93, 94% of people who had Christian McCaffrey on a roster made their league's playoffs. Um 20, I want to say it was, it's maybe it was close to 30%. It was either 25 or 30% of people with McCaffrey on a roster won their league. And I guarantee you there were people who entered drafts thinking, man, can't take him at one. Don't want him at two. He's uh, the hamstrings, the, the injuries. Well, McCaffrey is an example of somebody who did not have any injury whatsoever coming into this year. There was no like red flag for you to worry about. Um, obviously leads the league in rushing, leads the league in scrimmage yards, touchdowns, all of it, um, did his normal Christian McCaffrey thing. Like we need to let the idea of being injury prone kind of go, um, Raheem Mostert, another guy. And I realized that finally by the final weeks, he was, he was legitimately hurting and he was, he was missing time, missing plays. Um, but again, Mostert was one of the decisive players in fantasy this year. And if you had him on a roster, you almost certainly made the playoffs. Um, and, and he was a punchline, right? Like an, at the draft table, an absolute punchline. Um, beyond those two, like think of all the other guys who who had like, I don't know, vague injury red tags next to their name, um, but but nothing came of it, right? Tua, um, Lamar Jackson, you might have been worried about. He's going to be the MVP. Um, Matt Stafford, people were worried about. Like the, the truth is the sport itself is injury prone. And like, you don't have to come up with extra reasons to not take players who are, who are actually quite good and who may not be injured at a given moment. 21 total touchdowns for Raheem Mostert. So he was up there in terms of most valuable fantasy player because of his draft stock. His ADP was very low. You could have got him very late in drafts. CMC uh, was interesting. I was thinking back to my ranking of him. I had him and uh, Eckler at 1-2. I think Eckler actually at one and he did out. I'm going to plant my flag and say that Eckler did outscore Christian McCaffrey in week one <laughs> before he got in, before he got injured. Um, so the on the pace numbers were looking really good. Right? Yes. Yeah. We were, we were in great shape heading into week two. Uh, the, <laughs> the thing with CMC that I was slightly worried about, and it turned out to be way overblown was his splits with Elijah Mitchell. Uh, if you remember Agreed. last, the previous season uh, when Mitchell was healthy, um, McCaffrey's touches were his, his carries were way down. His he still was very active in the passing game. Still was a RB one, like a top five pick for sure. But the the concern that I had was that Mitchell, the, Kyle Shanahan does like Elijah Mitchell, so that was that was the concern heading in with McCaffrey. I try not to update, you know, or change rankings too much based on injury prone thing. The one player that I did worry about significantly due to injury was Tua because just you just feel like one hit 
and your QB1 is down. But he was going pretty late, if I remember correctly. I haven't looked at his ADP. But I think that that was sort of baked into his ADP. You could easily get him and then draft a, a Sam Howell or, a, or a, right. you know, you know, like a Jordan Love, if we want to talk about great, great quarterbacks. Um, so <laughs> I, I agree with I agree with it. And then you also wanted to talk about dual threat quarterbacks. Yeah, I th- that that is um, it's like a it's like a sub lesson within the major lesson. Right. Which is that, um, uh, you know, and you, and you get to to some of the quarterback names here, like think of the guys who actually suffered season ending injuries this year you know it was it was it was these pocket passers right it was joe burrow it was justin herbert it was kirk cousins again the game itself is injury prone there's not a lot of evidence to suggest i mean everybody everybody will say so many people will tell you conversationally that uh you know these dual threat guys oh the rushing quarterbacks oh there's no no such thing as an old rushing quarterback right these, these guys are injury prone well um you know josh allen was the qb1 and jalen hurts was up there and um, Lamar Jackson, again, MVP, right? Like these guys came through the season just fine. Um, Anthony Richardson being like the one exception from that group. But again, you look at the injury rates there. It's, it's only one season, but we're not like, I don't know, is Josh Allen injury prone? Is, you know, does Hertz strike you as injury prone necessarily? Like there's just, there's not a lot of evidence to, to support this idea that, um, the the Russian quarterbacks present greater risk, and I, I think it's perfectly clear that they present greater upside. I look, I'm just looking at the top ten QB finishers this year: Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson. Nothing too shocking there. Jordan Love at five, Brock Purdy at six, Jared Goff at seven, Patrick Mahomes all the way down there at eight, uh, C.J. Stroud at nine, Baker Mayfield at ten. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I don't think a, a million monkeys in a room would have picked those <laughs> 10 quarterbacks to finish yeah. in the top 10. That's a pretty crazy list. And we're also talking about some pocket passers there with Goff, Purdy, uh, Stroud, who runs a little bit, uh, Baker Mayfield, who did run a little bit this year. Uh, I guess Love is probably a pocket, more of a pocket part quarterback. He can run a little bit as well. But uh, good stuff, Andy. Uh, now a word from our sponsor. Little Caesars, the official sponsor of the NFL, knows football fans love a great game and a great deal, so they're tossing out a challenge and calling it Pick 6 for Slices and Sticks. Andy, can you uh, tell us what a Pick 6 is? I mean, John, I'm a Bears fan. I I see plenty of them. Yes, I can tell you what a Pick 6 is. It's bad, right? It's bad. It's bad. It's when the defense (laughs) intercepts a, a pass and returns it for a touchdown, so... That's a pick six. If there's a pick six during the Super Bowl 58, fans who accepted the challenge in the Little Caesars app will get a free slices and sticks, period. They partnered with Hall of Famer Derek Brooks of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because he knows all about the pick six, having returned one during the Super Bowl 37. That play led to a 44-yard touchdown and a win for the Buccaneers. So accept the challenge today in the Little Caesars app and win some pizza pizza from Little Caesars. It's mid-January, folks, and I don't know how your New Year's resolutions are holding up. Mine are eh, but that's where Factor Meals comes in. Skip the grocery stores, meal prep, cleanup. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your doorstep. This week, I have my eye on the queso fundido with cilantro cauliflower rice. I can still satisfy my cheesy Mexican cravings with gooey queso, savory ground beef, and tender cilantro cauliflower rice. It's all still healthy and nutrition-packed. Another great thing about Factor is it's flexible, which is great for busy families. Change up your order each week with plans from 4 to 18 meals, and you can even pause and reschedule. To get started, head to factormeals.com slash mostaccurate50. Use code mostaccurate50 to get 50% off. That's code mostaccurate50 at factormeals.com slash mostaccurate50 to get 50% off today. Andy, before we get to your next thing you learned, Derek Brooks, we just talked about him. I wanted to ask you, do you know who the Bears took before Derek Brooks? He went 28th overall in the first round of the 1995 draft. The Bears picked before that pick at some point. Do you know who they took? Instead of taking Derek Brooks, I'm gonna I'm gonna hate this name. Who is it? I'm gonna give you a hint. It's a running back. 
That's a pretty big hit. Um, oh man, do we? Was this like? Was this Salam? Rashawn Salam, ding ding ding, went pick twenty one. Yeah. He rushed for a thousand and seventy four yards as a rookie, but only sixteen hundred eighty four career rushing yards. So it didn't pan out as well as the Bears had hoped. I just wanted to bring that up because I I saw that Derek Brooks was a Hall of Famer, pick twenty eighth, and of course the Bears did not take him at 21 naturally naturally, naturally. There, he was one of four hall of famers drafted in the first round of that draft people uh, people the, listening if, can't see this but i actually like i i actually covered my eyes while i was trying to think of this i was so you were so perplexed many shameful draft picks on, uh, i the, threw the i threw a, uh, you a curveball there i'm not i apologize for that but i i had to do it as a and the no, packers, we got by there the way, we got to the name yeah the packers uh by the way picked 32nd they did not pass on Derek Brooks, unless they traded down, perhaps. Uh, but they took Craig Newsom, defensive back. Anyway, Andy, what's the next thing you learned during the 2023 fantasy season? Okay, this, I guess, is an actual lesson that I am going to carry into next year. Um, and it is not the way that I saw things going into 2023. And that is that the the tight end landscape has just really, really changed, right? We had, um, we had six tight ends clear 200 PPR points this season. And, um, with, and there wasn't like extreme separation within that group either. It was, uh, Iowa legend, Sam Laporta finishing as the tight end one, but he wasn't, he wasn't so far ahead of the field that you'd be like, oh man, he's a tier of his own guy going into next year. Um, and then we had, we had like another three players with over 175 PPR points, one of whom, um, Trey McBride was just about as trustworthy as anybody at the position by the end of the year. Um, we have like first and second year tight ends right now are thriving, right? Laporta, Ferguson, McBride, Isaiah likely like that goes on and on. The Packers had a couple of rookies who were great. Um, Kincaid was, was really good in flashes, right? So like Travis Kelsey was still great. Clearly, even if he was, a, you know, you, you could see you could see the age, you could see a little bit of the wear and tear throughout his season. But the the important thing is that Kelsey is no longer a, like a tier of his own player. Um, and the argument, obviously, for taking Kelsey in the first round, whether you did it or not, the argument for taking him was pretty solid over the past couple of years because the separation between Travis Kelsey and literally any other tight end has been incredible. And that's just that's just no longer the case. So I think I think we're probably going to find that tight ends don't go off the board until I don't know, there'll probably be a little run that begins in the third round and like Laporta and Kelsey are probably going to go right next to each other. And, you know, there's an argument for McBride not too far after like it's a all of a sudden um the, it's almost as if the position has healed itself right like i was i was going into last year banging the table that we need to get rid of tight ends in fantasy um and i still kind of feel that way because the the best of them the guys that we actually draft in fantasy are really just glorified receivers anyway with few exceptions um but man this this position is looking a whole lot better going into 2024 yeah, this is a funny one. This is Pat also brought this up as the tight end position has changed significantly. Um, and what's what's funny about this is that every year, I think around July, we are all saying that tight end is deeper this year because we talk ourselves into <laughs> some young guys, you know, emerging and, you know, we roll the dice on them and maybe a third of them actually pan out or actually part a big part of their respective offenses. Um, I could see Laporta uh, and Kelsey going second round, but third round is maybe early third round because I, re I remember back in the day when Antonio Gates was the was the guy, and I would get him in the middle of the third round every year and just ride my ride him to a championship because he he just offered such great advantage at the position, and then that became Travis Kelsey. Uh, maybe there was somebody else in between there, but Mark Andrews should be back healthy. Uh, as well, there's going to be a group of four or five, six guys that uh, maybe in that top tier, maybe even more. Uh, we'll see. But um, interesting, interesting take. Also, PPR, you mentioned it. I didn't put this on the show sheet, but you are going to be a founding member of our point per first down fantasy league that I'm going to try to start this offseason. Pat also oh, is yeah. in it. Love it. Tell me a little bit about your disdain for PPR. Just something, you know, a couple um, of It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly, um, you know, like I, I feel like I was somebody who was like on hand for the the development of PPR a million years ago, right? And I just feel like it, it addressed a problem initially, which was the fact that, you know, back in the day, like we're talking late 90s, we're talking early 2000s, every fantasy draft was just a parade of running backs for like two rounds, right? And it was a, it got to be a little bit boring and your draft position really, really mattered. Um, 
And that like, I, with the exception of, you know, a peak Jerry Rice or a peak Randy Moss, they're just Marvin Harrison. There weren't, there just weren't a lot of receivers that were going in the first or second round. Um, and so like we, we kind of artificially goosed scoring for the position fine, but then the, the game itself has just addressed this, right? There are so few full workload featured backs now, um, that, that that's not really an issue. We don't have to like, you know, there aren't, there aren't 20 guys out there who are going to get, you know, 350 touches, 330 touches. Um, and receivers themselves are all of a sudden closing in on 2000 scrimmage yards. So like it, it just, it addressed a problem that really no longer exists. And it set up this situation where we get, you know, the, the, the problem of like a 10 yard rush having exactly the same scoring value as a, as a reception for no gain, which is just absurd. There's not, there's not like intrinsic value to a, a catch for its own sake. It's, it, you know, I like my fantasy scoring systems to reflect things that are valuable in the actual game, which is why I greatly prefer point per first down. Yeah, and now it's become uh, available at a lot of different uh, mm-hmm. sites and uh, fantasy hosting services. So, you know, the other thing I like about it, not to like, you know, monologue on this or anything, but the other thing I really like about it is I, uh, another thing I like about my fantasy scoring systems is I, w- I want it to be something that like when it occurs in the game, I just know how many points that's worth, right? Like I don't want it to be overly complicated. I, I feel like most fantasy players feel the same way. And that's like, a first down is a very real concrete thing, right? Like I see that happen. I know I get a point. That's, that's awesome. And I get that a reception is the same way. It's just a reception can be anywhere on the field and not have uh, necessarily any real value. Yeah. It's a big deal. Fourth and one to get that, you know, for the running back to get that first down, if they get it or the, or the quarterback for that matter. Uh, And I think I did a study a while ago. I think it's like 70% of receptions result in a first down as well. So those receivers will still get, fancy points it just won't be for the garbage you know catch for zero yards or catch for negative two yards you know counting as plus eight or point eight fantasy points so uh we're gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna see what i can do here to to try to kill ppr at least put a dent in it before i retire in a few years we'll see how long ago <laughs> that is uh all right so back to your list of things you learned you wanted to talk a little bit about how do you spend your fab yeah, um, I think this is an important one, and this is one of those situations where um, I think the lesson that we can learn from 2023 is, um, <laughs> you know, it just kind of it just kind of supports a way that I feel like I've behaved my entire fantasy life. So maybe, maybe this is just me cherry picking a little bit, but man, um, this year quite clearly the best way to spend your fab was to was to burn through it all in week two, basically, right? Like I've, I've gone back and I, man, I just did this the other day, looked at the, looked at the week two waiver wire column and it had so many right answers for the fantasy season. You know, Kyron Williams is at the top of it and Puka Nakua is at the top of it and Jordan Love is in there, right? You think of the other guys who really popped early in the season, whether it was Stafford or, or uh, CJ Stroud, right? Like if you spent early if you if you blew all your fab um, coming out of opening week and you and you did it on the obvious guys who were again Jordan Love, Puka, Kyron Williams, man, that's a that's a title winner, right? Like those guys those guys didn't miss down the stretch. And I just feel you know this is so often the case. And I, I get that there's a couple schools of thought here, and there's plenty of people who like to they like to kind of have a hammer late in the year, and they like to have a little bit of little bit of leverage when somebody pops at the end of the season. I get it, um, but man, players are so much more valuable when they have their full season ahead of them, as Williams did, as Puka did. I mean, those were just those were just winning moves, and this happens a lot. Like you just, uh, this is a game where you can't be, you know, you you can't sit there and be like, oh man, he's got to prove it again. He's got to prove it next week, and then he's got to prove it the week after that. Like somebody in your league is going to jump on these guys, and it's. It's best that that's you and it's best that you do it early when we see a performance that just clearly has like signature significance as we as we got out of Puka in particular early in the season. I agree with this wholeheartedly. I absolutely recommend to any of my followers that are listening to burn that fab early. You don't burn it, but spend it early. Um yeah, I guess I, about, I don't mean to say that you have to get rid of it yeah, coming out it. of opening week, right? It's just like when you see a situation emerge, when you see a player emerge, man, uh, 
in September? Are you kidding me? I get him for the whole season. Yes, that's a that's a yeah. Full price I had I had uh, I had Burnett uh, written on the the show sheet, and that's the that's the wrong phrase. Use it early if you can. Um, but if you think about our biggest information difference, you know, stuff that we don't know to now information we have that happens from the end of the preseason to week one because this is how the teams are is they're playing full games they're actually using real players that they're going to use the rest of the season yes there have been some examples of players that have flashed in week one and then have disappeared and that's the, that's the one you know thing that you know people that are not proponent proponents of spending early they want you to save their your fab we'll we'll point to a couple players that did not pan out but more times than not if if a if a team is using a player heavily and it's kind of a surprise in week one that's going to continue uh so kyron williams puka are great examples of that um and then it's just like if you think about later in the season yes there are some cases it's always due to injury where you know somebody falls off and then now their backup is somehow available in the waiver wire i think the fantasy community has gotten a lot better at stashing the obvious or even mediocre mediocrely obvious uh rb2s that are gonna pop if uh yeah. the rb1 goes down um so those guys are usually not available anymore in week 10 or week 11. uh occasionally you get two running backs going down in the same week and then all, all of a sudden rb3 is a hot prospect but i really can't think of any over you know many over the last three or four years that were way, widely available in the waiver wire and then came on to help you win a championship. There's been a few, uh, but I really, I think the spending it early is a, is a great uh, recommendation there, Andy. Speaking of spending early Rams, we should have spent early. You mentioned Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua. They told no lies in the preseason is what I have written down for you. What do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, you know, normally, um, and, and this has been kind of a default position for me, uh, over, over many years, I don't like, unless I actually see it on the field in, in preseason play or, you know, something that we, that we really see repeatedly in camp, I try not to react to what coaches say. I try not to react to like, just the kind of normal camp sunshine that we see every year, right? Like Pete Carroll famously just loved everybody. Everybody was about to have the biggest year of his career. We want to get everybody involved, right? Like there's just a lot of, you know, um, happy talk about almost everybody in the league every summer. And it means nothing. And we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't hang on every word. We shouldn't hang on every Roto world blurb about, you know, a team wants to get so-and-so more involved. I will just say the, the Rams were like brutally obvious um and and kept no secrets this summer and i feel like i don't know i for for my own uh, myself just speaking for myself i i wasn't listening like um i was still worried about matt stafford coming into the season even though if you go back there's there's just a million articles out there and there's beat writers all over the twitter feed um telling you hey stafford looks pretty good elbow not an issue like no health issues here he looks great this this looks like vintage matthew stafford um puka nakua they were raving about him all summer right um like it was there um if you wanted to react to a little bit of camp buzz it was definitely there for you like stafford was saying glowing things about him cup was saying glowing things about him the coaching staff was saying glowing things about him they were raving about how like he was going to see the field because man he gets our blocking schemes um like it was there um you, you can go you can go to the rams website they were producing propaganda on kyron williams like nobody was specifically saying Oh, he's our starting running back. Um, Cam Akers is about to be an epic fantasy bust. They weren't saying that, but they were hyping Kyron Williams. So, like, it was all out there for us and available to us. And it wasn't just smoke, right? Like, it wasn't just a little bit of camp sunshine. They were they were pretty upfront about um, who was really shining in the preseason. That's just something I don't know. I'm prob probably going to file it away. And um, going into going into next year, maybe as long as Sean McVay is is in charge there, I'm going to, you know, they were they were pretty honest with us this preseason. And a lot of us didn't do anything with the information they were giving us. And we should have been more on the P Puka Nakua thing with Cup Cooper Cup's injury and just, yeah. just the opportunity there for anyone to step in and have a huge role if they were good. Uh, 
The interesting thing about the running back situation there was that Cam Akers did finish the previous season quite strong. And he did out-carry Kyron Williams 22-15 to in that first week. However, it was 22 carries for 29 yards. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then I believe, I don't know if he was injured or that, but that was when the whole thing started with him just being falling out of favor there. But uh, Kyron had 15 carries for 52 yards and two touchdowns and then sort of ran with the job. From that point forward, uh, did have and, that. And Kyron, Kyron had the job like immediately though. Like that was while that game was in doubt, and like early in that game, it was it, that was Kyron's job. Like he, like Cam Akers had clearly lost that job before the season started, and w- none of us had really reacted to it. Yeah, I'm gonna go back and look and see who got the you know all, the most touches in the first quarter because I'm interested to see like did they actually start uh, Akers or did it you know was it. Kyron from the start, yeah, but it did, he did out carry him 22 to 15. So I have to think that he got the start. I don't remember. I don't remember who started the game. I do remember that like the last drive belonged to Cam Akers and he got like a late touchdown. Sorry, my dog is chiming in on this. Um, she loves, she loves to talk Rams. Um, and, uh, and, and I want to say that Akers got like a late touchdown that kind of saved his fantasy day. Um, but then that was it. Then they were like, man, how do we get Akers off this roster as quickly as possible? He did get a touchdown. I didn't think he did, but yeah, 22 carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown. Very good memory there, Andy. For you're even older than I am, and you remembered that. Very nice, <laughs> nicely done. Um, I try to block it out when I miss on a Cam, uh, Kyron Williams ranking. Uh, okay, so that that wraps up your things that you learned. Um, uh, those are four really good things to to remember. Uh, injury prone is an outrageous lie. Dual threat. Sub sub lesson number one is dual threat quarterbacks for no more injury prone. And there is, I, I want to mention one thing on that too, is that the, the running quarterbacks are more elusive, therefore able to avoid contact. Uh, when they do run, they're able, they're at least able to see the defenders flying at them. The pocket passers are just blindly standing there trying to read, <laughs> read the defense and throw yeah. the ball to five different, you know, four or four, five different receivers. Uh, number two, landscape has changed at tight end. Uh, number three, the best way to spend fab is to burn it, not burn it. Spend it immediately if you can. Identify some players that hit in week one. They're probably going to be valuable. And, of course, uh, Sean McVay and the Rams told no lies in the preseason. That was a surprising offense, those Rams. Uh, a lot of good fantasy points coming out of that <clears throat> out of that offense. It was, it was also – it was just really fun to watch Matt Stafford, like, throw the ball like vintage Matt Stafford. Like what a, what a fun entertaining season they, they gave. He has us. a great arm. And, uh, and it was funny because uh, McVay was talking about retiring and then, you know, you yeah. kind of wondered like, is, is he all into this, you know, this offense, this offense and the season, is he, you know, all in on 2023, but they ended up having some very important fantasy players uh, throughout the season, especially Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua. Uh, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the big game. Um, I don't, you know, there's probably a million podcasts out there previewing the game, but I w- I'm interested in to hear just a, you know, your brief take. What do you, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Um, yeah, it's funny. These are these are two. I mean, this is, this is such a hedgy thing to say, but I can legitimately see either team winning this game, and I'm super excited for it. Right? Like, I don't have, you know, I have I have storylines that I root for on either side of this game, but I, I don't have like a really strong rooting interest. Um, I can see the path for either team winning. Um, I don't like I don't I don't think that every time. Sometimes I'm wrong, by the way. Sometimes I I don't see a path for one team winning and they win. Right? Like I'm not I don't pretend to be like some uh, super genius predictor of games, but it is it is not difficult to imagine the scenario in which the Niners win, not difficult to imagine the scenario, of course, in which Patrick Mahomes wins. I will say like the way that I've bet this is, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, um, maybe this is just not in depth enough for, for anyone to find convincing, but man, you, you're given Patrick Mahomes points. I'm, I'm probably taking those points. So I, I've, I've leaned chiefs, um, but again, it feels like a it feels like a fifty two forty eight sort of lean. Um, I, I I really think this has the recipe for a for a potentially great game. Um, I, I you know we th- these teams are not like it's easy to tell yourself you know oh Patrick Mahomes he's a wizard of a quarterback, phenomenal player. Um, you actually look at like his last five six games the the offense has been fun. 
Um, and they've finally, you know, they've stopped throwing to the bad players is I guess the best way for me to put it right. Like they've, they've kind of simplified the things to, to uh, such an extent that they're like, yeah, okay, we're building the whole thing out of Kelsey and rice and Pacheco and not so much, um, you know, the sketchier options on the roster because like sky more terrible this year, Kadarius, Tony hilariously bad this year. Um, Hardman is never in the place that Patrick Mahomes expects him to be right. Like, and they've, and they've really dialed all that stuff back. It took them a while. But the other thing about the last five or six weeks is that Mahomes is not actually putting up huge totals. Um, the passing numbers haven't been like eye popping or anything like that. So they're just playing a, a style, um, that is a little bit different from what we've seen, um, from the, from the chiefs in in earlier iterations, but it's man, it's fun. There's a lot of playmakers in this thing. Um, and I am looking forward to the game again, like slightest possible lean to the chiefs here, but of course we can, we can easily imagine the Niners winning. I would go the same way. I would probably be more, I would be a stronger on the chiefs. Uh, I think the, I mean, getting the point, I mean, Patrick Mahomes getting the points, but you also just look at the quarterback disparity between Mahomes and Purdy. And I know that Mahomes numbers weren't great this year, but, um, I, th I think if the if the Chiefs had had a normal season, like a normal Chiefs season, and then came off of wins against uh, the Bills and and the Ravens, and we're entering this game, and you know we're just completely clicking the entire year, they're probably seven point favorites or five point favorites, yeah. something like that. So the fact that I think everybody's kind of over maybe overweighting the the regular season. I guess there's an argument that the regular season is you know, the struggles there could pop up again against a good San Francisco defense. I just don't think that the rest of the 49ers roster is that much better than the Chiefs roster. Certainly not defensively. I think the Chiefs defense is playing out of their mind and playing great. A lot of talent. They can, they might have a better defensive performance than the 49ers. Uh, so I just don't think that the, the roster is there to justify taking Purdy over Mahomes. Now, the big advantage that he has is receiving core and talent. Like, I mean, you know, McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, like he can, you know, get you in so many different ways with all those different weapons. But I think the Chiefs have enough for Mahomes to to uh get the win. And if you're getting points, then that's just icing on a cake. Yeah. But there were there were plenty of well, I was just going to say there were plenty of, uh, you know, part of the story of Patrick Mahomes season was um, a bunch of negative plays that we don't necessarily um, attribute to Mahomes. Like we don't we don't think of him that way. Man, that Raiders game, like the unforced errors in that Raiders game were crazy. Um, it just feels like since that time, um, they've actually philosophically changed some things. Um, uh, and and like that's not that has not been part of Patrick Mahomes's performance obviously in the postseason so that's encouraging the other thing to your point about the Niners man they're lucky to be here like they definitely could have lost that Packers game and they probably should have lost the Lions game right so it's not it's not like we're getting the best version of the 49ers uh this week necessarily yeah I would say that they should have lost the Packers as well but that I'm not I'm not entirely unbiased with that assertion. <laughs> All right. So with that in mind, do you have any favorite Super Bowl props that you'd like to share, Andy? Yeah, I'll tell you the ones that I've actually these are these are just ones that I've taken. I'm not I'm not typing anything that I have not already bet. And I'm I don't usually bet like day of necessarily. And I and I'm also not somebody who bets like the super weird things. I'm not betting the coin flip. I'm not betting, you know, anything about the anthem, anything like that. I'll just tell you what I've actually taken. Um, a bunch of Isaiah Pacheco overs. Um, I don't know how this is going to go, but like, man, that, that guy's been playing so well. And he's been so steady for so long. And the man, I just, I find almost all of these numbers really inviting. Um, first of all, I, I placed an early MVP bet on him because he was like uh, plus 3,500, um, which is, man, the guy's, the guy's got a touchdown in seven straight games. Um, the guy's definitely finding the end zone in this one. If he finds the end zone twice, now you're among the MVP favorites, right? Um, he's also, he's gone over 80 scrimmage yards in like seven of his last eight games oftentimes going well over 80 scrimmage yards. So I've, I've taken the, I've taken the over on his rushing receiving like combined uh, number, which I think is like 80 and a half. Um, I think the rushing prop is pretty inviting as well. Um, and then you look at what, you know, while the, while the Niners have been kind of, 
I don't know, on fumes might be a little strong, but they've they've been scuffling uh, on their way to the Super Bowl. Um, gave up a huge day to David Montgomery, gave up the huge day to, to Aaron Jones. Um, like you can all of a sudden run against this team. So I'm, man, I, I like, I think Pacheco has a big game. Another one I've taken, uh, Patrick Mahomes under 260 and a half passing yards because man, he's barely been there over the last five weeks. I think his I think his single game high over the last five weeks is like 262. And then the last one I've taken is George Kittle over 49 and a half receiving yards. Um, in part because I love George Kittle and in part because, you know, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of man defense here. He's been kind of a man killer. Um, I also like the George Kittle, uh, MVP odds. I'll say that too. Cause he was like, he opened at like plus 8,000 or something like that. And we're, we're talking about somebody who three, four times a year has a blow up game that would definitely put him in the MVP conversation in a single game situation like this. All right. I like it. And I think on the uh, uh, Pacheco MVP, you're looking for two touchdowns from him and perhaps Mahomes has like a one touchdown game and, yeah. you know, throws for 250 or less. And, you know, maybe the votes swing Pacheco's way, but I think 35 to one is pretty, pretty tasty for a guy running as That's well wild. as he is. All right, let me give you mine. This is my prize picks slip. Uh, Mahomes, over 0.5 passing yards. They're giving a free square right now with Mahomes. I'm confident he's going to throw for one yard. <laughs> uh, so take that for sure. All right, I'm also going Pacheco. I'm going over 67 uh, and a half rushing yards. And I'm stealing a lot of these stats from a recent thread by Connor Allen, uh, our betting guru here at 4 for 4. Uh, he I just retweeted the thread a few days ago. So check that out if you want more detail on these stats. But he broke down eight different stats that you should know before uh, betting this game. Uh, so here we go. Uh, nearly 70% of the Chiefs' rush attempts came out of the shotgun, averaging 4.92 yards per carry. The 49ers' rush defense against runs out of the shotgun, 4.6 yards per carry allowed, and 2.74 yards after contact per attempt allowed. Isaiah Pacheco has averaged uh, 2.77 yards after contact per carry on runs out of the shotgun. So we like the over on the rush yards. Uh, Andy also likes that. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I'm also going over on his. This is a little dice here because he's at 90 and a half. Uh, but I just think that the 49ers are going to have trouble throwing. And I think it's going to be more of a McCaffrey game on the ground. The Chiefs are have struggled against the run, uh, against zone blocking, which is what the 49ers primary, primarily use on 75% or so of their rush attempts. The Chiefs against zone blocking have allowed 4.62 yards per carry, which is 29th in the league, 51.9% success rate, 29th in the league, and 31% in stuff rate. So McCaffrey should have his way with this Chiefs rush defense. So I'm going over on the rush yards. Uh, Brock Purdy, I'm going under. I am not a believer in Brock Purdy's uh, volume, maybe, or I don't know, his effectiveness against this really stingy Chiefs defense. He's played against two top five pass defenses this year. Cleveland, 125 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 4.7 yards per attempt uh, against Baltimore. He did have 255 yards passing that game. He, pa he passed it uh, 32 times for eight yards per attempt, which is actually a little bit low for him. He's a pretty high yards per attempt type guy, but he had zero touchdowns, four interceptions. The 49ers scored just 12 points before Brock Purdy had to let, leave the game. The Chiefs are third in dr per dropback EPA allowed, third in success rate allowed, fourth in explosive pass rate allowed, and second in pressure rate this season. They've been extremely stingy against the pass. They've given up 248 yards or more just once in the last six games. So I'm going under on Purdy. And then finally, I'm combining Rasheed Rice and Debo. Uh, over 126 combined receiving yards. Uh, and stay with me here, Andy. Casey is locked down wide receiver ones this year, but wide receiver 1B, wide receiver 2 types have gone off. I think Connor believes that Casey will treat Ayuk as the wide receiver 1 with Legereus Sneed and some kind of shadow coverage. Meanwhile, Debo Samuel saw a 27.2 target share against two high safety looks. I love that. I love this level of detail here, which Casey plays at the highest rate in the league. So we're looking at Samuel probably with a 27% target share. Uh, should be a big day for him. Rasheed Rice ran a route. He could also get some rushing yards. So just keep that in mind. Uh, maybe you want to go Debo rushing receiving combined if you don't want to use rice as well but Rasheed rice ran a route on 65 percent of the dropbacks at least in every meaningful game from week 12 on during that span he leads the team in targets per route run and target share 27 percent 
against four pass rushers and zone defense, which is what the 49ers usually deploy. The Chiefs pass catchers have both performed well from week 12 on. Rasheed Rice, 25% target share, 0.3 targets per route run, 3.22 yards per route run, which is outstanding. And he's been the first read on 28.3% of routes. So I, I like the Rice Debo over as well combined. Hopefully this hits. And if it does, we can all go to the Sizzler and enjoy the <laughs> buffet. I'll be praying for it. But those are those those are all based on you know, Connor did did the lion's share of the research. Uh and uh, you know, I, I kind of think this is gonna be a game where they the 49ers kind of struggle efficiency wise with the pass, can run the ball well, big big games for both running backs. And Mahomes, I guess the passing games might struggle a little bit, but I think the couple of the pass catchers will get there. Man, has has Connor has Connor just been propping you up all, all these years? Has he been the no. wind beneath your wings? No, I do my own research during the season, but when it gets into the, <laughs> the Super Bowl week, I you know my research is reading his tweet thread. I think uh, he kind of sums it all up for me. Um, all right, so we have a couple of things left to talk about. You're you're my favorite Bears fan. I, I said that at the top. Um, I was I, I I did put in here you're a long suffering Bears fan, but I don't want to you know stick the dagger in too much she did have the 85 bears that was a yeah great, luckily i'm old year. enough that i remember 85 vividly yeah. i remember the you also the remember ball. the rex grossman year right the rex grossman super bowl year <laughs> it was <laughs> awesome actually like once we actually got there i don't i don't feel like anybody i i attended the nf the nfc title game that year and it was just a beautiful like sort of magical like light snow wonderful like perfect temperature against the saints um is one of the most glorious um uh, events that i have attended in sporting events that i've attended in person i had no great expectation that they were going to win that super bowl but that was a that was a fun one actually fun you get two years of or two weeks of thinking that they might you know lead it leading up to the super bowl you actually think well what if they do win it all right. Anyway, your team has and then, the number and one. And then Hester returns the kickoff, and you're like, "Oh, oh man, it's all coming together." And then, yeah. Oh, you did get your hope. You did get your hopes up there for a second. Yeah. All right. So your team has number one pick. What do you want them to do with it? Um, I don't think there's much of a choice here, and I I know that there's a great debate going on about uh, and I I actually like I find Justin Fields to be one of the easiest one of the one of the most easy to root for players in my Bears fan experience, but I. You, you, like you can't keep Justin Fields. Um, I, I I think you have to draft Caleb Williams here. And look, if the team decides that they're in on one of the other quarterbacks, and they want to and they want to uh, go out on that limb, fine. Um, but I but I do think that you you have to recognize as much as they like to say that oh Justin Fields has made all this progress. I don't actually think like. I don't know. I, I think the game that he played against Pittsburgh, his rookie year, is still about as good a game as he's played as a bear. Um, and I, I don't like. I think there's been a total coaching failure there. I think. I think Fields is a is an incredible talent. Um, zero questions about his work ethic. Um, it, his teammates to a man love him. All of that. I just think he's been failed by this coaching staff. Um, and he's not like, I don't know. He was still last in the league in time to throw this year. Um, he would have been sacked just as many times this year as he was last year, if he'd been healthy for the full season. So I'm not seeing all of the growth that the coaching staff proclaims, um, and I and I think it makes all the sense in the world to to start over with perhaps a, a higher upside quarterback on a obviously on a friendlier contract. And they also have what the fifth pick or something like that. that yeah, it's like nine. It's like nine and one, right? Um, nine and one. Okay. I think it's nine. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if one of the big three receivers falls to that, but I, I can I can hope they will, right? Like I, man, I I just love the idea of of. Caleb Williams, DJ Moore, and, uh, you know, spin the wheel of rookie receivers. Like, give me that going into the into the season. I'm I'm ready for it. And Cole Komet, who has had a good start yep. to his career as well. It's a nice little receiving core uh, for whoever is the quarterback next year for the Bears. Um, okay, so if this is – I did not put this on the show sheet, but I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Justin Fields, let's say he's traded – where would you like from a fantasy standpoint, where would you most like to see him land as the starter? Yeah, purely fantasy standpoint, I think um, either being surrounded by the weapons in uh, Atlanta would clearly be great. Um, and, and I think I think Pittsburgh would be pretty great, too. Um, I, there, you know, I, I, I prefer the actual like supporting cast, I think, in Atlanta. But um, man, that is a 
that is, that is a grown up coaching staff that I feel really good about in Pittsburgh. Um, like I, I just like the idea of fields under, under Tomlin. Um, I like him with, I think he pairs well with both, uh, Deontay and with George Pickens. Um, he's, he, you know, he's got arm strength for days. Um, so there's no place that Pickens can run on the field where fields can't reach him. And, you know, I think Deontay is a little bit more of a, this is a a sloppy comparison, but a little bit more of that DJ Moore type of receiver that he can click with immediately. Um, solid running game. Like, I just think that's a good, I just think that's a good environment for him. I think that's good team context for him. So I'd like either one of those locations. I think the Raiders might be in on him, should be in on him. I think the Broncos should be in on him. I mean, I think, I don't know, other than other than perhaps a, a healthy Kirk Cousins, if we get one of those, I think Justin Fields is the is the most interesting quarterback who is likely to change teams uh, this offseason. So there should be there should be no shortage of suitors. I wonder if there'll there'll be a uh, situation where a team maybe in the middle of the first round will draft a quarterback and then also trade for fields and have, you know, competition between the two and maybe, you know, maybe decide that way. But uh, the Pittsburgh thing is interesting, especially with Arthur Smith as the OC in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I am, I'm nervous about that, but he was pretty good with the Titans as a pure OC. Uh, just, I mean, obviously the, his career in Atlanta led to a lot of memes and, Frustrated fantasy uh, managers, <laughs> Bijan. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a really good chance that Arthur Smith is actually just a very good offensive designer who should never talk to the press again. <laughs> like he, <laughs> like he, he lost every press conference, right? Like he always yeah. came off as absurd um, when a microphone was in front of him, and yeah, like he was, oh, he was over he eighteen. Yeah, even even when he didn't need to be defensive, he was super defensive. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't need to see him at a podium again. But I I think the man can design a a, a really fun offense. Well, one of the, one of my better calls this year was uh, talking with Daigle. I I told him that because I just saw a, a midseason press conference with with uh, with Arthur Smith, and he just looked so miserable asking questions about why Bijan Robinson is not getting more touches. I go, at some <laughs> point, he's going to be so frustrated with answering this question that he's just going to start feeding Bijan. And lo and behold, a week later, he was feeding Bijan. <laughs> uh, it's the miserable index yeah. that I think I, you know I could see on his face. Um, all right, so as my favorite Bears fan, uh, Walk me through. I know you're not you're not as nasty as a lot of the folks I run across on Twitter that are just rooting for people to fail and you know hate the Packers with such a passion that you can't see straight. You're more objective, I think, and also working for Yahoo Fantasy, you have to be. But what were your expectations for Jordan Love heading into the season? I mean, I I suppose you were not rooting for him to be another good or great. Uh, Green Bay quarterback, but take me through, walk me through as a Bears fan, what you thought of his season. The the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, people people will commonly say, "Oh man, how how terrible um, you you must feel about Jordan Love perhaps being another you know another ten year quarterback for the Packers who's really really good." It's not. It's never been so much about the fact that the Packers have always had a good quarterback, right? It wasn't like. I didn't I didn't just seethe because they had Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. It was the disparity between the quality <laughs> of play of the Bears quarterback and the guy in Green Bay, right? It wasn't just that Brett Favre was there. It was that our answer to Brett Favre was like Walsh or, you know, um, early stage Kyle Orton or, you know, it was just a per- Rex Grossman. Um, like Eric Kramer was literally the best quarterback that uh, the Bears have had in my lifetime. Like that's that's the sad state of affairs I was I was dealing with. It wasn't so much that they had Aaron Rodgers. It's that we had Mitch and, and uh, Jay Cutler, right? Like it was the Bears answer to the Packers quarterback that was always the problem. I'm, you know, fantasy guy. I'm all for there being more great quarterbacks. Um, so I have, I, I'm not like, I, I'm not just like simmering with rage that, that Jordan love is really good. I think it's awesome. Um, I had him, I probably had him buried around QB 20, maybe lower than that coming into the season. I had relatively low expectations. Um, we'd seen only a little bit of, of Jordan love and I didn't trust his receiving core. I had talked myself into Reed a little bit. I was a big fan of Reed coming into the Jane Reed coming into the league. Um, 
as I'm a huge fan of, of Aaron Jones's game. I thought obviously if he'd stayed healthy, he would have been a, a centerpiece of the offense. I did not have the imagination to, to foresee the, the Jordan love season that, that unfolded, but man, it was, it was awesome. He was, he was clearly great. I don't think I need to, to detail his performance. It, I mean, multi-touchdown games basically for the final three months, right? Like fantastic. I, the, the thing that I was really not ready for with green Bay is that, and I said this on a podcast with Matt Harmon, uh, last week, I, I think green Bay might have the deepest receiving core in the league. I do not think they have like, obviously green Bay doesn't have like a Justin Jefferson, Tyree kill Jamar chase, whatever. They don't have like that guy. So you can say that they haven't, you know, they haven't solved the biggest uh, issue for any receiving core, which is just to have one of those absolute, you know, uh, uh, dogs. But, um, man, they like the bears couldn't do anything with Dontavian wicks and that guy's a part-timer. Um, Melton looks great. And that guy barely plays. Um, both rookie tight ends were awesome. Like they, you can't like, they don't have a bad receiver. Um, I think every receiver on that team might be the bears. Number two. Um, I, 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 and I wasn't ready for that. Like I was ready for Reed to be really good. And I was ready for, you know, Christian Watson to sort of consolidate everything that he did the year before but I was not ready for that receiving core to just be like seven guys deep, which apparently it is. So in addition to Jordan love being, being terrific, like that is one of the really intimidating things about green Bay right now. I was at the Raider game on Monday night with my wife. I'd spent a lot of money for seats. We were there for the, uh, U2 show at the sphere. Uh, it was my birthday, 50th birthday celebration. And we wrapped it up with the, you know, the Packers are playing the Raiders. Okay. We'll go. And it was a complete disaster. If you remember, uh, <laughs> Jordan Love was a complete disaster. I left that game wondering if he was the guy. I left the game wondering if Matt uh, LaFleur could coach. I was honestly questioning my sanity spending this money to, to see an NFL game live <laughs> when I could simply watch it on a 65-inch screen uh, and get better coverage. <laughs> uh, so that was certainly, I, I would say that was the low point. And I was really grateful to see that and spend all that money to go see that. But from that point on, things just continually got better. And I, I did think even after that, that he deserved another at least half season next year as the starter with the same group, because you just don't know all the mistakes that are being made. If, if it's him or if it's the receivers, I mean, they're all so young. And you could see it as the season went on that they all just got better and better and better and more in tune. And Matt LaFleur can coach. I thought he kind of, he wasn't nominated for coach of the year, which I thought was a bit of a snub. Wild. Yeah. Um, and I think you pointed it out. Like you, I'm looking at the Jaden Reed was number one fantasy receiver for them. Dobbs, Wicks, Watson, who played only nine games, Bull Melton played only five games, but I think a lot of teams would take Bull Melton as their two or three uh, oh, at this yeah. point, for sure. Um, so it is an interesting offense now because they don't have a clear number one. Jordan Love says he claims that he likes that because he can just throw to the open person. He doesn't have to worry about forcing targets to people that aren't open to keep them happy. And I don't think that's a shot on Devontae Adams, but every every number one receiver gets a little frustrated if they only see four or five targets in a game. And I don't think any of these guys yeah. do, uh, or they're not going to cause chaos in the locker room with that. So, um, can you handicap the chances of Jordan love becoming the third straight hall of fame quarterback for the Packers <laughs> that see that, that I feel like, man, are we, are we, are we putting something on Jordan love that maybe like you can't do? Know, yeah. That, that's not, we're not doing him any favors by no. saying, oh yeah, um, you're either Aaron freaking Rogers or you're a bit of a disappointment, right? Like there right. has to be some, there has to be something between like one of the all time greatest quarterbacks and, uh, you know, a, a, a washout of a quarterback that, that is okay for Jordan love. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't want, I don't want to put the, the Favre Rogers standard on him necessarily. I, he was awesome. I mean, he, he's coming off a terrific year in which he like, without question, like 
you know, Bears fans are are tying themselves in knots, trying to like uh, trying to convince themselves that like Justin Fields made a ton of progress. Jordan Love made progress within a season like that. Would, like from the the low point that you're mentioning from like the, the sort of midpoint of the season where we're where we have some legitimate questions about Jordan Love, man, like that guy, that that guy got it by the end of the year. Um, that guy was dealing by the end of the year. So no such questions there. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's possible. Um, you, you, <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna roll it out. He just finished as like the QB five in fantasy and he made some, you know, genius level throws along the way. So I'd, I'd certainly be excited as a Packers fan. I just wouldn't like, I feel like we're doing a disservice to him if we're like, okay, you have to just go be Aaron Rodgers, which is which is not it's not an easy ask. That's a very diplomatic answer. Uh, not I was looking actually looking for a number. Uh, I'm going to say three <laughs> to five. I'm going to say a three to five percent chance right now. And I think that's oh, I was going to get okay. I was actually going to you forcing me into it. I was going to throw out a number that was closer to fifteen. Like I think it's 15, I don't yeah. know. I think it's in play. Initially, again, not to not to meet Rogers' standard necessarily, but to be right, like a Hall of Fame. You know. Yeah. Yeah. To be a, to be a Canton level quarterback. Um, it's, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out. I'll give, I'll give him better than a three to 5% chance for sure. My initial gut said 10%, but then I'm like, well, maybe I'm just being optimistic as a Packer fan, uh, rooting for the kid three to 5%, but you're saying 15. Okay. I like that. It was, it was an interesting year as a, you know, a, you know, out of the closet Packer fan on fantasy Twitter, um, watching Vikings, especially and bears fans, because I think Vikings fans had a separate path because they really thought that they were going to win the division. And they and they were absolutely convinced that Jordan Love sucked. And I think a lot of Bears fans were convinced that Jordan Love sucked. And, you know, kind of the hot start for Love, and then they were very quiet for a few weeks. But then, they, you know, just this monster disaster on Monday Night Football, national television, very loud. Oh, you know, he's an XFL level quarterback, very loud about how bad he is. And he just shouldn't even be a quarterback in the NFL. And then slowly, but surely very quiet again towards the end of the year um, and into the playoffs, which really impressive run for the kid. I'm just really happy yeah. for him. Um, and I'm sure people listening are going to get tired of me talking about Jordan Love, but you, I'm going to do it. Always do it at the end of the podcast so that if you really hate it that much, you can just, you know, turn it off. I, I, I will tell you, honestly, the Bears fan perspective on Jordan Love is that and this is this is where another massive change occurred. Like nobody was sweating Jordan Love coming into the season. I, I don't uh, like my my real meathead Bears fan buddies like they didn't have takes on Jordan Love. No one was even like we were we were chirping because we thought Justin Fields was going to be more of a thing. And we thought Justin Fields was going to make an actual leap. So we thought we'd caught up, you know, it's that thing I was talking about earlier where like, man, we're, we're stuck with like Walsh and Orton while you've got Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. Um, it like, we thought we'd, we'd not only caught up, but maybe passed you. Um, and we weren't giving Jordan love much of a thought. Um, and by the end of the year, you're like, oh crap, they, they, they got another one <laughs> and, and, and we don't know who our quarterback's going to be next year. So that's the, you know, that's the well, immediate problem. I mean, I think now everything's okay. You've got the number one pick, uh, the, I'm sure bears fans are, most of them are expecting Caleb Williams to be the, be the pick and be the quarterback next year, but things might change. I mean, I guess the, the distance between him and the other rookies are, has kind of narrowed a bit. So we'll see what the bears decide to do there, but they're sitting, sitting in the driver's seat for sure. And DJ Moore, you got a real one there. Yeah, I've just never experienced um, life as a Bears fan where I where I legitimately felt that our well, I mean, I guess we could go back to like you having a an old version of like Lynn Dickey and the Bears being okay at quarterback, <laughs> but like that's that's the last time in my life. Maybe Jim McMahon, right? Like when when the and that's forever ago. That's forty years yeah, ago. Yeah, eighty five, nineteen eighty five. When I could legitimately tell myself that the Bears are on even footing with the Packers in terms of quarterback play, or even a little bit better, and like, I mean, four decades—that's how long yeah. it's been, man. And even Jim McMahon wasn't that good of a quarterback. He just was decent, and he had that awesome, awesome defense, right? And he had the sunglasses yeah. and the whole look—like he had a whole vibe about him. 
he was also like he was there to chuck deep right like that was a different era of quarterbacking and we held people to a very different standard and he was a he was a great player in big moments and the team's performance and the offense's performance would always drop off when uh when when mcmahon wasn't under center so like he he was a difference maker if not you know great by today's standards he was a leader of men let's just succinctly put it that way <laughs> a leader of men all right, that uh, about does it for today. Thanks so much to Andy Barons of Yahoo Fantasy for coming on the podcast. Enjoy the Super Bowl, eat some food, drink some beverages, rage over Taylor Swift if you want. I'm personally a fan. <laughs> I'm a Swifty at 50. Enjoy the game. See you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast.